understand a parent, specifically a mother's, need to share. It can be extremely isolating, especially when you're navigating a new baby and a first-time mom. I do understand the you know, need and desire for connection and understanding. And a lot of mothers are seeking that online, hence why they're posting and things like that. But I just want to remind parents that all of that can be done without sharing your children. It can all be done without sharing images of them, oversharing information, because we connect with other parents. We connect with other, myself, you know, like-minded moms. I don't need to see their kid or know the intimate details of their child's life in order to feel supported and welcomed within their community online. Hey there. Welcome to Thriving with Technology, the science-led podcast that's here to help you achieve mindful living in a digital world. And I'm your host, I'm August Bryce from techwellness.com. This show is designed to give you a practical approach on how to navigate the important tech toxins in our world. We have real-life stories, experiences, and non-fear-based facts about cybersecurity and EMFs, your online privacy, internet overuse, what leads to addiction blue light, oh, and so much more. So thank you. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Today, you're going to meet Sarah. She's also known as Mom and Trotted. She's an advocate for child safety, and she explores the state of parental public oversharing and child exploitation on social media. It's getting really serious. She has created a really strong community, She's got 240,000 followers with millions of views on TikTok. Very popular. She brings a new perspective to parents sharing their kids online. And today, she's going to shine a light on what really happened in the dark corners of social media. She's been featured on Teen Vogue, The Washington Post, CBC Radio, The New York Post, and even Dr. Phil. She shares her concerns around generation shared. So, you know, as a mom of two girls, I'm especially passionate about online privacy for our kids. So this is a very insightful conversation with, of course, some practical steps for parents navigating sharing their kids on social media. You're not going to want to miss this. Here we go. Sarah, I'm so excited to talk to you today because I also have been talking about this for years about sharing and privacy from a privacy perspective. You know, what you put out there stays out there with somebody. And also because my husband and I had an advertising agency, we really understood that you build your brand and your child's brand every post, one post at a time. You know, you're saying negative or positive, you're presenting who you are and who they are. So you have taken this over-sharenting that we're seeing online right now, you've taken it and you've embraced it and you have seen and shared things that I didn't even know were going on. So can you tell me how you got into this? Yeah, I became a mom in late 2017. And I was on Instagram and I started following, you know, these mummy influencers and these mummy bloggers because I didn't know what I was doing. I'd never been a mom before and I thought they would offer me tips and what I need to do and what I need to buy. And I was never participating in the world, just, you know, scrolling and looking. And then as the years went on, I just noticed 
more of them online, more um, intimate details being shared, everyday posts. And it really peaked during the pandemic. And I also had a pandemic baby. So I was at home with my pandemic baby. And I just felt that it was getting weird. It was getting strange. I shouldn't know this much about these children. I shouldn't see these children so often. And it started to concern me. And I just felt like, huh, I wonder if anyone else feels this way. And one day on a whim, I downloaded TikTok and I started talking about, you know, just being a mom, learning the app, having a pandemic baby. And whenever I talked about these topics, I got a lot of engagement and it's what I wanted to talk about. So I just kind of niched myself into that. Right. But the things that you've noticed, and speaking of TikTok, I saw a post where you were pointing out the fact that on TikTok, you know, you might get one or two saves on a cute video, on a normal video of just maybe your child in the background, you're carrying them when you're shopping or whatever. But then you notice that some particular videos get saved and shared where normally somebody gets two saves, they might get thousands Thousands. of saves. Tell me about what you're seeing and what you're connecting with when someone gets a ton of saves when they normally don't. It's no surprise that a lot of videos of children do get more saved. And yes, videos of children are cute. No one's going to argue. Babies are cute. Toddlers say and do funny things. But sadly, content of children is pushed to two streams of individuals. You know, the parents and the individuals who find babies cute and are in that, you know, realm, parenting, babysitting world. And then there's like the worst people in society who fetishize children and have the ability to turn those images into something different. That's why I think we are seeing the save so high on a lot of content of children on that app. Today, you posted just another one of the videos. You know, the over-sexualization of children is nothing new. I remember when my kids were little, you know, they're all grown up now. But when my kids were little, I was very intentional about finding a dance studio that didn't do sexualized moves for a five-year-old and a four-year-old and a three-year-old. It was crazy. So I found a really nice dance studio that just let them dance instead of, you know, shake their their booties and turn around. Come on. But you posted a video today of probably an innocent dance, Mm -hmm. but a mom chose to portray it differently. Or how would you describe what you posted today? And then you post all the comments too that really are an indicator of what you're saying, that there are people out there that are looking at it differently. Yeah, like they're icky and awful people watching your kids and specifically seeking them out online because parents sadly, willingly or unknowingly are giving content to individuals who are predatory towards children. And it's specifically bad in the dance and cheer in gymnast world. And these people know where to find those images because it's very easy today. You post the comments behind you. Yes. And one of the comments was, oh, I hope you don't mind, but I froze that video at Mm, the beginning. Now I know which one you're talking about. Yes. So a mom hopefully sees that. The mom that posted this sees that. I know you've had these experiences where somebody saw it. What would a mom's reaction be? What have you heard? Well, sadly, you know, the comments are still there. 
right? The mums have control of these accounts. They're not these little girls who are editing and deleting comments and things like this. Like if I can see these comments, the parents can see these comments. The parents can see who's liking their photos, the demographics of the individuals who follow them. We've created a society where online popularity means everything to so many people. And sadly, it looks like to some of these parents, online popularity means more to them than the digital safety and just general safety of their children. Wow. And so that's why this is happening for their own popularity. I would assume so. I think you ask American kids these days what they want to be. It's I think the stats like 80, 90% want to be influencers, right? So these little girls who are in these worlds of gymnastics and cheerleading, they think they're models and influencers and they have these large followings and they have these fellow dance people who are supporting them, but they don't see behind the account that it's 80% adult males following them. They are unknowing in this. They don't know what is happening. They just see their pictures and they see likes and comments and they think they're influencers when really they're sadly being exploited by their parents online. Assumed parents, of course. Of course. So when you call them out, because you call them straight out, what happens? Mainly they just block me. Wow. When I first started, you know, talking about these things, it was new to me. I had fallen into this kind of rabbit hole because I was looking at influencers and family bloggers and that they would have accounts for their children. Many of them were like dancing accounts. And then that led to the rabbit hole. And so sometimes I would find images of these girls on very concerning accounts. And I would reach out to the parents and say like, hey, there's this account that's posting these images of young girls. Um, The comments and the following is very concerning. Like, I just want you to know. And usually I would be blocked. They lift their content and post it on a really scammy, scummy site is what you're saying. In regard to that, it was usually another Instagram account that they were stealing photos from. Um, There's many accounts like that, you know, fan accounts, dance accounts, where they take these images of little girls mainly. And it's kind of just a place where these predatory individuals can find more little girls. It's kind of like a dog whistle. So this, this demands legal action, actually, what you're talking about. Technically, it is not illegal to post your little girl in minimal clothing in suggestive dance poses. That's not illegal. But to take someone else's pictures and post them on your account. Once you post an image publicly, it is a public image, right? I'm not sure about the copyright when it goes into that. Morally, ethically, should anyone be stealing other people's pictures? No. But if it's posted publicly, my assumption is it becomes public property and other people can lift and take it. Well, that does happen. But actually, Instagram or Facebook ends up being the owner of Mm. that property. You agree to allow it. You agree that it becomes part of their content. Let's talk about how this even starts. I think that when a mom has a sweet little baby, you know, they're not thinking, oh, great, here's a way for me to make money. I 
think that it probably starts innocently enough. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, my husband was at a, a South by Southwest conference with Facebook and Facebook uh, said, you know, we see that new moms post mostly between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. Okay, we get that right. They're yeah, we, we've night. been there. We've been right, there. Right, we've been there. They're posting. Fortunately, I haven't been there because we didn't have Facebook or Instagram when my kids were little. And I'm so grateful because I talk to my kids now about that cute little picture of them in the bubble bath that I love. And I would have posted that probably. I imagine I would have. I would have shared it because back then when it first started too, it was just like you're sharing to your family. Yes, it was very different. But they would have been horrified now. And so I, I have, I'm fortunate to have the perspective too of these young adult women Mm -hmm. who have their own point of view and have their own brands that they want to portray. And they're so glad that there's nothing like that about them on the internet, which is great. We did have some family pictures, you know, that we posted, but, but back to that Facebook. So then there was another study about new moms and it turned out that the more a mom was really seeking approval and the more she thought that she was being judged for her motherhood, the more she was apt to post. Mm. Isn't that interesting? It is very interesting because you would somewhat think that if you were feeling judged, you would post less because it's tough out there, especially for moms. It's very critical of the way you are mothering and the way you are parenting. I try very hard to approach this in a way that doesn't come across as mom shaming because that is not what this is about. It's not a parenting style. This is a parenting decision that I'm trying to talk about so parents can reflect and make informed and educated choices as it comes to sharing their children online. That's awesome. And to finalize, that study, what they also found out, the biggest finding was that when a mom who was seeking approval posted and she got a lot of likes, she felt amazing. But when they were unnoticed, she felt worse than (sighs) if she hadn't posted at all. And that all makes sense, doesn't it? It really does. And I understand a parent, specifically a mother's need to share. It can be extremely isolating, especially When you're navigating a new baby and a first time mom, I do understand the, you know, need and desire for connection and understanding. And a lot of mothers are seeking that online, hence why they're posting and things like that. But I just want to remind parents that all of that can be done without sharing your children. It can all be done without sharing images of them, oversharing information, because we connect with other parents. We connect with other, myself, you know, like-minded moms. I don't need to see their kid or know the intimate details of their child's life in order to feel supported and welcomed within their community online. Okay. So give us an example. Like, so mom wants to talk about a meltdown or something that happened with their child. So what would you suggest she post that doesn't include a picture of her child? Yeah, I definitely never post images and videos. And when it comes to meltdowns, it is a little difficult because even if it's not publicly shared, a child's meltdown visually, if a mother is describing it in great detail and the frustration or the anger or the upset, like that could also have an effect on the child, right? 
anything embarrassing and traumatic and meltdown worthy is not appropriate to share. And maybe what is appropriate is not the specifics of the meltdown, but how did you feel? What did you do? How did you manage, you know, taking that back and sharing, you know, basically my child had a meltdown and this is what I was struggling and this is what I'm seeking advice on, things like that. Right. Just just acknowledging that social media has become this landscape of vulnerability. It's sort of like a badge of distinction or honor. And as it comes to vulnerability, like we as consenting adults are posting online. We are, if we choose to, we can express our vulnerabilities online. These are unwilling (laughs) participants, Unknowing. unknowing participants who did not consent to having all of this information publicized and part of their digital footprint, right? So we really have to remember that when we are thinking about if or what we want to share in regards to our children. And in addition to you creating awareness, I know you know about some of the fallout. Can you tell us about some of these, you know, kids that are now adults and what you're seeing or hearing? Well, it's still a process in regard to like the children who are kind of aging out of the family vlogging or influencing world. There was um, a great article done by uh, Fortessa for Teen Vogue. I can't remember the title right now. She talked to a child who grew up in the vlogging world. Her pseudonym was Claire, and she didn't have great things to say. I think a lot of them feel a little bit used, feel a little bit stuck, feel like they don't have a choice. You know, mom and dad are saying like, well, if you don't keep doing this, we're not going to have all of this, right? Like kind of veiled threats were um, exposed in that article. And I think it's going to take a little more time. But I do hear specifically on YouTube where there's a lot of kids over there and some have come across some of my videos and there's a lot of comments like my mom shared this my dad videotaped this I asked them to take it down it won't these are just regular average kids who are struggling with the amount their parents are sharing and so all parents from the family vlogging world to the regular folk we all need to be aware right of kids feelings their hearts, their futures. They're fully autonomous human beings. And I think sometimes we forget that. And it's really important to remember that as a parent who is oversharing online, you are narrating your child's story for them. You are essentially like writing their memoir of who they are without their consent. And that might not be the public image they want out there, right? That might be a lot for them to live up to that might not be a reflection of who they authentically are, but now the world thinks something of them. And I don't think that's very fair for our children. I think they should be able to come online when they're ready, when we say they're ready with restrictions and things like that, and be who they are and not have a vast digital footprint telling the world otherwise. So good. And when I wrote that post about you building your child brand, one post at a time, I did mention about college entrance and applications. So this is available to everyone. So not only are you affecting them emotionally and 
you know, mentally, but you're also affecting their success. I've had a lot of people talk about it in regards to that. I've had a lot of people talk about potential issues with insurance coverage because their parents are sharing their medical history. And I've had a lot of people specifically with disabilities, usually maybe not visible disabilities, but their parents speaking out and potentially affecting their future employment. And that was something that that community told me. I had never thought about it like that. And they're completely right. Parents could be hindering a lot of future opportunities for their children unknowingly. And, you know, you understand their heart when they have a child with a childhood illness. I mean, oh, that's so tough. There needs to be a safe space, though, for sure, for that. For parents, you know, maybe a doctor's website or an offline group or a very, very private group. What do you think about private groups? What are the risks of posting in a private group? So when you're talking about private groups, you're talking about me coming into, you know, a parenting group or something like that? Yeah, exactly. That, you know, comes with its own risk because you, again, do not know those individuals, right? They could screenshot, they could record, they could take sensitive information, place it elsewhere. So there are risks with any and all sharing online. I personally advocate to always share privately with a curated followers list that you know and you trust, but also be mindful of what you share. You know, don't share privately and share every aspect of your day and your child's life. You still need to be mindful in private mode, but there are risks with all of it. 1000%. I really recommend that people never disclose their children's real names or birthdays or even their real name if they're in one of these chats where there is very sensitive information that should not be public. Yep. I just posted that. I just posted that. Yesterday was um, information to not share. And the big ones were full legal name, birth date, school, location. I'm seeing a lot of that. And that's very concerning, as well as any personal and private information, essentially any personal identifiable information should not be shared online. Because I think one thing that um, gets missed is these children's risk for identity theft and fraud as well, right? If you know someone's full legal name and their birthday and with technology, easily find out their location, their address, it puts a lot of children at risk for problems down the line. And instant problems, right? Mm-hmm. There goes your credit line. <laughs> right, and and your safety. And I also recommend this with even the phones that, the, that you buy for the kids. There's no need to say who the child really is and their real birthday and their real social security number ever. There just isn't, except with your doctor, you know, possibly, and your insurance company, like you said. But what other sort of dangers or risks like this are you seeing? I think... You know, just a child's sense of autonomy, um, the digital safety aspect in regard to technology has advanced so much with AI and deep fakes and things like this. And children's images are being taken and altered. They're being placed in the dark corners of the web. It's scary for our children, right? Like this no longer is like the online world. This is the real world, right? Like online, physical, but it's all real. Now it's all intertwined and this 
can manifest in real ways. And I'm also concerned about, you know, the parasocial relationships that parents are allowing adults to develop with their children. I don't think that is healthy. Talk about enmeshment, right? Right. Like we vet all the people coming into our children's life regularly, right? I know you, I trust you. I, that person is giving me the ick. I'm not going to go back into that park or that situation, whatever it will be. But it seems like this public park of social media, parents have kind of like forgotten that the worst people in society are also there. And I always say that, like, do you want those people having access to images of your children and information about your children? I personally don't. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the door to the world, the good and the bad. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I so appreciate you creating this awareness for people. You know, I want to talk a little bit about your average healthy parents and they have their beautiful little baby and their cute kids. What's okay to post? Where's the line? I think the line is, you know, going to be different for everybody. But again, as I always say, you know, you're a proud parent. You want to share with your friends and your family. Do so in private mode or do so on an app that is not connected to social media. I personally, you know, text or email, things like that. We've created this normalization of oversharing. And I personally just don't think that we need to be sharing images of our kids every day with anyone, honestly. Like, I don't even think my parents don't need to see their grandkids every single day. We also have to remember what it's like for these kids with this, right? Oh, I guess like, what does this kids being raised with this in right, front of in their, their phone, face. right? What in their that? face and us not being present because we're trying to capture everything so we can reflect on it later, but we're missing those moments. If new parents are there, they have their baby, create a private account if you're wanting to share on social media, curate your followers list, and share occasional appropriate happy moments. You know, like it doesn't have to be a daily or even a weekly thing. There's certain things that should never be shared, you know, nude semi-nude, bathtubs, potty training, anything like really embarrassing for them. It should be like what it used to be, like a highlight reel. For people who are just listening and don't see you. So what Sarah did was she held up her phone and this is a- Oh, sorry. (laughs) Right, you know. So I had a, a girlfriend who said, you know, her neighbor had a baby and she'd watch that neighbor every day take that baby out in the stroller. And she said, the worst thing was as that child got older and older and sitting there in the stroller, it was the same thing every day. Just the mom's phone in that kid's face. The mom would every day be like taking pictures. And she said exactly what you said. This is what her memory, the baby's memory is going to be. Just the phone in her face that her mom's holding, you know? So yeah, that was a really interesting thing that you did there, Sarah, hold up the phone. This is what your kid's going to remember. I don't talk about it um, as much as I'd like to, but you know, there is an element in doing this that is how we interact with our phones because we are directly and indirectly sharing a lot of information with our kids by how we behave with our phones, right? 
And that's important to remember. And do I often spend too much of my phone? Yeah, I do. Do I nail it all the time? No, I don't. But do I have systems in place that I try to adhere to? So my children have a present mom and I'm not addicted to my phone? Yes, I do. And I think one thing that all parents should and can be doing is taking a day off their phone. I take two days off minimum a week where I don't log into social media for my mental sanity and just to be more present in my children's world has been extremely beneficial. And even if a parent can just take a day, just don't log into social media. Just don't take any pictures of your kid. Just be. Just be fully present. Yeah. I, you know, we're huge proponents at Tech Wellness of a daily digital detox. Yes. Whether it's waking up and not touching your phone for an hour, no device dinners, no device lunches, mm-hmm. you know, and just real family time every single day, I think is what you're highlighting here. Exactly. And I think it's, you're right. It's so good for relationships and it's so good for awareness for your own children because we learn by example. With all the research coming out and all the talk about teens' mental health and things like that, and this desire for young kids to have their phone and get it at early ages when they're not ready and prepared for, if parents are displaying that they are on social media and it's so important and it's their world and stuff like that, it is going to be tough to tell your kid, well, you can't have it, right? You know, so we need to be mindful of how we're interacting with it to preach to them. A hundred percent. Getting back to just the average parent and what they do. My niece just had a baby and we have a, a family chat. And we we all are very sure of each other that none of us will be sharing any of these things. It's just a very nice private family chat. You know, you said, Oh, I don't think a grandparent wants to see a baby ever. <laughs> You do. <laughs> yeah, touche, touche. I, I think I said I think I said they don't need to. Right. They may want to. They don't need to, they right? They do want to. Right. They do it's want such to. A, it's such a gift. I'm not trying to rid kids of the internet. I don't want people to stop sharing amongst trusted friends and family or anything like that. I just want us as parents to be more mindful that our children deserve dignity and respect and they're autonomous human beings and we're developing a digital footprint for them and their right to privacy and informed consent and digital safety. It matters, right? So having these conversations are so good. And also, Sarah, because you've seen the darkest of the dark, because are are you looking for it or now you must be, right? So that people are aware of how, how bad it can get. I get sent a lot of things now. I don't go looking for it. There's like kind of like circles where, you know, they're up to no good and you can just go back and easily find more awful things that they are doing. But um, I also try and protect my peace and protect my mental health and not go too far down a rabbit hole. Because again, like I'm on the surface level of the state of child exploitation on social media. There's a very dark, deep CSAM part and trafficking part. And I don't go into those depths. That's not what my platform is about. So what are your recommendations for the accounts that you highlight? So I come in, I see this account that you highlight. What do you recommend I do? 
I think it is, well, obviously, when you see questionable content, you always report. And a lot of people feel very frustrated because they don't think like reporting does anything. And I felt that as well. But the more reports, the better, right? An account gets a lot of reports. It's a flag. I also will report if you see really questionable content to cyber tip lines, you know, the National Center for Exploited and Missing Children cyber tip up here in Canada. And if you are very concerned and find something illegal, then contact your local authorities. Great. And I was just really encouraged and looking at your feed with all the people that say, oh, I'm unfollowing that person now. Yeah, I think there's a there's a shift happening now. And I think it's natural, right? Like we have to remember, and I remember that we don't know what we're doing. This is all new. There's no handbooks. There's no guidebooks. We don't know the consequences and the ramifications of all of this sharing and things like that. But one thing I do see, and now we all can see, is that what is happening to our tweens and our teens and their mental health in regard to social media is not good. So my assumption is if children are being exploited from day one and their whole world is being filmed and recorded and set up to do dances and props and their childhood is commercialized, their existence is monetized, it's probably not going to turn out well for their mental health. Right, for their identity, their self-esteem. And also that new trend that seems so innocent where, you know, you do the highlight reel of the child for the day and then you put a funny voice with it. The baby, a day in my life of baby vlogging. Right. And you narrate it and it makes the child seem sassy or nerdy or, you know, like you said, you're just presenting this story. It's not even real. No, it's not real. And like the language they often use is just not like cute. The things they say sometimes um, in regard to like, their baby's bodies and stuff um, is not cute. Like lots of temper tantrums and meltdowns are being filmed. Um, It just doesn't feel like a really, it doesn't feel respectful. Let's just not do that. It's one thing when it was a puppy or a kitty. (laughs) That's what people said initially. Cause I, when it came up, people were like, just do this with your animals. I'm like, that is funny. But would you want somebody filming you and editing your day together and then putting a voiceover without your consent. Like I wouldn't want that as an adult. So like if you wouldn't want it done to you, don't do it to your children. You are an amazing voice in this world. We appreciate you so much. Is there anything that you'd like to share that we have not talked about today? Um, No, I think we've uh, covered all the things. I just want to remind parents that kids are not content, whether you are looking at your child and trying to have a video or an image. So you have content to post on social media, or you are following influencers and vloggers who have turned their accounts mainly into content about their kids. Kids aren't content. Kids are merely trying to exist and navigate this world as we are. And we need to treat them with dignity and respect. And I didn't log on to Facebook until I was 21. I was an adult. I had consent, right? Like these children have a right to privacy and informed consent and digital safety. And we need to prioritize that over our requirement or desire for online popularity. Very good. Thank you. Well said. 
And to your point that there's no guide, I'm creating one right now. I was just re- I was just reading. I was uh, your other guide in regard to social media and teens. I think that's great. I think that's great, August. So I'm excited to see that. And if you need any help, let me know. And you know I will. So Mom Uncharted, TikTok, Instagram, any other YouTube. social media, YouTube. We're going to look for you. We're going to keep up with what you're doing because I know you're going to make an even bigger dent into this really unfortunate, like you said, children are not content issue. Kids aren't content. Thank you so much for having me, Aga. Thank you. We'll see you again. Be well. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. I hope you loved it. If you do like what you've heard, leave us a review and subscribe to the show. For more tools and information to help you achieve mindful living in a digital world and navigate those tech toxins, follow Tech Wellness on all the usual social media channels and head over to techwellness.com for resources, videos, solutions, and so much more. I'm August Bryce. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, be well.